My name is Rick Firestone. My name is Vince Bazelli. And my name is Ben Bugale, and you're listening to Pixel Project Radio, a video game and video game club style podcast where we discuss the games that we and you all love. We do deep dive reviews, and today we are talking about Final Fantasy IX, and this will be our third installment. I'd like to volley to Rick because this was his pick, and I'd like to know how he is enjoying this game for his what playthrough is this for you it's funny that you ask i just checked on because i couldn't remember today right so i checked on steam i've got 160 hours there this playthrough is on switch i know i beat it twice on playstation one as a kid um and i owned a ps2 so i'm sure i played it there so i don't know um Definitely my fourth, probably my fifth playthrough, and I'm not going to play it again for many years after this, um, because going through it, I'm just like, you know, I love it, but I I can't, because I just beat it last year, right? That's fair enough. I mean, it sounds like you're probably pretty satiated with the game as a whole. For sure. Um, before we jump in and see how you guys are liking it for your first time... Um, Just a couple of housekeeping announcements for the listeners out there. Um, So we, this is our fourth month podcasting. Um, If you're listening in the future, um, well, first of all, I'm glad that you are listening in the future. Good to know that uh, the U.S.'s inability to deal with a literal pandemic hasn't wiped everybody out. But uh, as of the time of recording, we uh, have been podcasting for four months now, uh, and we're still learning. That being said, uh, we've got two little corrections here. Uh, One for the schedule. uh, Well, actually, two for the schedule. Uh, One for the money and two for the show. Uh, Three to get ready. And here comes... I don't know a rhyme. Mr. Meatloaf. No, that's not it. Here comes Mr. Meatloaf. He's mad. Um, So for the schedule in August, we realized we were a bit too ambitious. So we put it up to you, the listeners. Um, We did an Instagram poll to see what you wanted to hear. And our schedule is updated thusly. We're going to do three episodes in August. One on Firewatch, a delightful little very short game. Uh, One on Bioshock 1, the game that started it all and started a revolution. Uh, We will kindly do that one. And Bioshock Infinite. So we are going to skip two for the time being. Um... Partly, I mean, mainly due to practicality, because um, we realized that was a lot of games to cover. Um, and also because 2 is its mostly it's its own contained story. Um, 1 and Infinite tie very directly to each other. So we will get back to 2 eventually. Uh, just not in August. Not a terrible schedule change, but uh, something that we, we needed to make for quality of life purposes for sure. 
Yeah, definitely. Definitely appreciate all your Absolutely. patience and, and uh, in our, our, our moving of games and all that stuff. And uh, be sure to check us out on Instagram if you have not already. We do a lot of like, we listen to what you guys want type of deal. So um, if you'd like to see something or see us talk about something or see us play something, let us know. We'd love to know. The second little schedule change, um, or I should say the second way that we're learning um, as baby podcasters is we're learning our pacing. Uh, this goes not just for pacing video games like we just alluded to with uh, August, but also how to pace our episodes. Um, you know, uh, episode two of Final Fantasy IX was a bit uh, it was a bit long and uh, didn't cover as much as we wanted to. And that kind of led into this episode uh, not being our last. <laughs> That's right. We originally intended this one to be the final installment. We wanted a three-part trilogy because... That's nice and tidy, and it fits into July quite well. Uh, but we're going to need to add an extra-sode, a nice, tight, little, under-one-hour extra-sode uh, after this one, sometime uh, in August or September. So not unlike the original Final Fantasy IX, this will come out over four discs. Well, maybe not discs, but this will come out over a series of four episodes, the last of which will be A Baby by Comparison. Four convenient digital downloads straight to your phone that you can watch the entire time that you're stuck, or listen to the entire time that you're stuck in the airport terminal. You're welcome, America. And if you do listen to our podcast on disc, be it CD or a mini disc, please reach out, um, because we, we want to know about you. You're probably more interesting than we are, and uh, we want to know you. And you'd probably make up a large percentage of our listening demographic, considering it's only one person, statistically speaking, that would do that out of... What's our listening demographic right now? What are we looking at? Oh, I don't know. I haven't checked the numbers. Well, we don't check the numbers, so maybe we have millions. So could there could be six of you. You are most likely also one of the people keeping the CD industry alive, so kudos to you for that. A round of applause and an acknowledgement. So with that, let's, uh, speaking of acknowledgement, let's acknowledge our way into uh, the story of Final Fantasy III. Let's, let's waste no time, gentlemen. Close. It's uh, nine, but you're on the right track. Final Fantasy III. <laughs> what did he say? Um, what? Oh, well, but um, before we first, jump... But before... first, actually, no, no, no. You're right. Before we do that, we do need to go into... Um, Rick, how is the game going for you? Are you done with that section yet? I already explained that I was going to ask you guys. Yeah, so I wanted I, I wanted to ask, since Ben already asked me, um, I think it's cool. We've got three unique perspectives on this game, on this podcast right now. So, Vince, you're going through it the first time, and you've largely been dealing with Let's Plays and Guides and sort of catching up with the actual playing um, secondarily. So you're getting a story-driven experience. Ben... This is your first time playing the game. You're playing the Switch port, so not the original. Um, the Switch port is updated but does present problems of its own. Um, and as I mentioned before, um, I've put too much time into this game. So uh, we're not going to give our uh, patented, uh, well-known, and famous uh, blank out of 10 review just yet. Um, that's what we call a tease in the podcast biz. Um, oh, Richard. But... <laughs> Such a tease. Such a tease, Richard. Oh, oh don't do this to me, Rick. 
I can't I'm wait so, a whole. I'm sorry, I can't Lovis. wait another <laughs> six week cycle. No, <laughs> please never. This is oh, this six week cycle is gonna be just like the time that I I waited for that six week cycle. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Vince, what? Uh... <laughs> that was really good. Yeah. <laughs> it's. It, it, do you ever just like find yourself doing those ridiculous voices at at any opportune time? Like I when when you're like getting out of the shower, you're like talking to yourself. Yep. <laughs> and I just expose. I just exposed myself. Peter, put your clothes on. Ooh, that's good. That's a good Joe. Thank you. Thank you. It could be better, but yeah. Anyway, we are. What the heck were we just talking about we're, before? I... We're Vince. You and I are talking about how we feel about this. I think is that not right, Richard? Yeah, I want to. I want to hear your thoughts now that we're getting towards the end game material. Um, in terms of the story or the game or the new characters, because now we've all seen all of the characters, um, playable characters anyway. I think it's still just very characteristically Japanese. Uh, the characters, like the way that they tell, like the their view of a Western fantasy is interesting, I think. So that's for sure um, something to... to um, take heed of and also um in terms of my own impressions i'm liking this game more that i play it i am used to the combat i'm used to the gameplay i have um, been much more patient with my grinding and i've been fighting every enemy that i see and it's been uh, a much more rewarding experience for me when i don't get one-shotted by everything and anything which is nice so that's good this game oh sorry no, I, I just said your name. Go for it, my man. You, you did. This game um, has really been an alchemic experience in terms of figuring out how to best supply and support the characters that you play as and the best ways to strategize and take down enemies, which has been great fun. Um, yeah, it's been really cool to explore all these things. And I think I said this in the last episode, but it's like a snowball. So the more I continue to play this game, the bigger the snowball is getting and the faster it's rushing down the hill and it's kind of doing that Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood thing. Like, I just keep wanting to play it. Even when I don't have the hours a day to play it, I find myself playing it. Um, so I try to do things like run my laundry at the same time so that I can still be getting things done around the house. I, I really have to say, um, I was never, like, hardcore on the Switch train. Um but I, I get it now. The ability to play this like in bed or even just in multiple rooms, it, it's fantastic. And I don't think I would want this for every experience, right? Like, like I wouldn't want to play like, um, like fun, the remake of 7 on Portable, I don't think. But it's, it's a game changer. And, you know, we'll have to talk about the Steam Deck in an upcoming episode because that – I'm very excited for that. But – um, at any rate, yeah, it's been great to play this portably, um, <laughs> just to touch on that. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mentioned off mic that I kind of feel like this game is the quintessential Final Fantasy, but warts and all. So it, it, it you really do get, um, if not the best, near the best. You know, the battle system isn't as good as some others. The card game isn't as good as Triple Triad. Um, but nothing is objectively bad. Um, there are things that are derivative and tedious, and I think in this episode, since we're on disc three, we are going to touch on a lot of that, because just like every Final Fantasy, it seems this one suffers that mid-game soggy underbelly, 
and then goes into some JRPG bullshit towards the end. So we'll get there right now. Let's get this party started. So if I'm not mistaken, last we left off, we were at Pinnacle Rocks and we made it through and we met Rama, Ramu. What is the actual pronunciation? Do we know? No? All right. That's all right. Uh, not to sound like uh, one of my favorite YouTubers, and I don't know about you guys, but not to sound like video game donkey or anything, but we kind of fumble through uh, Rama's dinkle dick challenge of putting together a story. I think that's the technical term to use. And we gain him as a summon for uh, the good little lady known as Garnet or Dagger. It turns out that the last page doesn't matter whether you do the human or the hero thing. That's That was the, um, the kind of strange little caveat there. Um, even so, you make your way over to Lindblom um, as it's pretty close to the Pinnacle Rocks. But at this point, it's important to distinguish... We're following Zidane, Dagger, and Vivi, and while they're walking from afar, we see Lindblom under siege, which was an order of Braun. Uh, there's a sick recapitulation of Vivi's theme at this point that, Rick, you actually had texted me about literally minutes before it happened. It was, ooh, it, it, it struck me, man. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, right as we see the mages walking in, it's, it's really something. I mean, because Vivi's theme right at the very beginning is curious and it's cute. It still sounds a little bit dark, but not in a nefarious way. But in this, I mean, no no punches held here with this theming. Um, Queen Brown had, had an attack ordered on the city, but wanted the castle spared, apparently. And perhaps that was because of, um, and we'll get to this, but perhaps that's because of Sid meeting her wishes in terms of the surrender but we'll we'll get to that yeah yeah so that attack does culminate in another instance of Bronn using an eidolon or a summon uh she summons a tomos and it just decimates the city um it is in ruin it's in flames there are literally dead lining the street um and I, I i i don't you know just going back to pacing i do kind of want to not touch on like every tiny detail but there were two that i wanted to touch on here um when you're exploring the ruins there because you have to go and check the damage and make sure sid's okay um, we see, first we see, well not first, but we see the old pickle lady, uh, remember her, the sweet old woman, uh, she's just sitting on the ground, and if you approach her, she gets startled, and she says something along the lines of, like, the mages came and they blinded me, um, I'll never see again, I'll never see my grandson's face ever again, uh, which is, <laughs> which is really sad, um, Honestly, and then yeah. as you come in, there's a, a mage laying in the street, and it's it's almost dead, and the townsfolk are, like, screaming, like, yeah, kill it, kill it. And Zidane stops them, and he's like, you know, it was programmed to kill, but it's still alive like anybody else. And the townsfolk respond, they may look human, but that's where the similarities end. And it kind of ties – this this game deals a lot with the themes of identity, autonomy, and what it means to live and die. And I think, you know – a lot of people are turned off by the sort of cutesy anime appearance of it, um, but but these themes are very, you know, central to, to what it means to exist, I think. And, you know, looking at 8 with its themes of, like, going into outer space and time traveling, I know I'm, you know, very much misrepresenting that game, but I, 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 I do think, again, this this game... When it does what it does well, it does extraordinarily well, and this is an example of that. Absolutely. It's good writing. I, I like the writing. I appreciate that for sure. Um, just to move the story ahead just a tiny bit, um, like you said, Ben, um, Sid did surrender. 
Um, we do find him. Uh, we learn that Kuja is supplying the black mages to Braun. Kuja is a weapons dealer. And since Braun did seize the harbor and the airships, uh, you've got to go to a fossil site uh, to get to the outer continent. Sid gives you 3,000 gil, um, which, you know, you're the ruler of a city, dude, but, you know, that's <laughs> a little right. little unfair because his city just right. got literally destroyed. Half Well, half of it gets sucked up into that void, that, like, void thing, right? Yeah, yeah, Tomos. Yeah, a lot of people and a lot of things got sucked up into there. Like, the entire, like, half of the city just gets, like, a, literally eaten. But anyway, um, that was, that was, like... I think the cutscenes are pretty good in this game, actually. I think they hold up pretty well. They were um, pushing the limits of what the PlayStation 1 could do, for sure. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, and in order to get to Fossil Rue, um, the place where we are going, where we are doing our, our fossils after Lindblom, we have to travel through Q's Marsh. So we go back to Q's Marsh. We take this uh, underground tunnel that uh, Quinna finds by accident because um, they were chasing a frog. So, Quinta finds our tunnel. We travel our, to our the. This is okay. There are three separate continents aside from the continent that we're on, and two of them are named the Lost Continent and like the Forgotten Continent or some shit. And like, what's the one that we're going to now? From the tunnel, I can never remember which one it is. Uh, we're going to the outer continent. We're going to the outer continent. I, so I agree. I to, agree yeah. with you. The they're not. Um named in a way that makes them super distinct you're right no I'm, I'm glad i'm not the only person that noticed that because i think that's a little ridiculous so we're on our way to the outer continent um and we are going to the town of cond pt cond pta how do you say that i always called it conde petty but i don't know we're not not quite there yet we still got to get through uh fossil rue we do oh i skipped all the stuff that happens in fossil rue that's my fault no worries, uh, would, no worries. Would, would one of you like to pick up there? That's my I'd be, fault. I'd be happy to. Go for it. Um, so I recognize, Vince, that um, Quinna was looking for frogs for you guys, but this is where I found Quinna was at this point in the game. I did oh. not I did not pick up Quinna as early as you guys, which would have been great fighting Gizamaluk, but I digress. So exactly what you said, though... We stumble into, kind of stumble into Fossil Rue through that tunnel in the ground while Quinn is looking for frogs. Um, then the Rue theme drops again, and it slaps, and I just love that theme. I don't know why I love it so much. It kind of drives me nuts at the same time. But you get around the Rue, which is apparently, um, there's a treasure hunter. That's down in the fossils, who's like, there's lots of treasure here, and this cavern is a wanker to navigate like a spider web. Good luck, loser, lol. Um, by the grace of God, I made it through it on my first try, but you navigate and traverse this system by riding on gargants, which are a little less tamed. They don't, they aren't as domesticated as the other gargants that are in Garganru. Um, yeah, you have to actually rip the weeds off of the ground, hold them up, and then the gargant will carry you throughout the system of Fossil Rue. So we're on our way to Fossil Rue, and um, in the cavern that leads us to Fossil Rue, we encounter a chase scene. Um, we are chased by two bodyguards in like this big spear car-looking chariot thing, um, sent by Queen Brawny 
to uh, destroy us, whose names are Lonnie and a name that starts with an A that eludes me. Someone help. Uh, it's just Lonnie. Amerant is not with her right oh, now. Right, Amerant is not with her. So it is Lonnie, and uh, she is one of the two mercenaries. Um, it's a pretty small boss battle. You kill her. Um, steal some not items, whatever. Not the first time. Right. And we are on our way through the cavern. A um, bunch of stuff happens here. Lots of good puzzles in this cavern. And our next big story point is we arrive in Fossil Rue, which leads us to the town of Condé Petier, as I alluded to before. Yeah, Fossil Rue next to the Rama section is one of the lower points to me. I don't find the, these puzzles aren't particularly brain engaging. They're just kind of like flip the switches and then there might be a binary choice that you have to make at one point it's not they're time consuming yeah it's a low point there's a cute little achievement that you can get called one ring to rule them all if you go and mine uh with the miner and you uh dig up a ring Uh, there's a ring that's hidden in there that's a nice little uh call out to lord of the rings but yeah you step out of the cavern as we're going to condipede um, there's no mist out there. Um, this is, I just put this in in here. I don't think that we talked about it. This was the first time that I ran into the ragtime mouse. Um, have you guys <laughs> run into him yet? Yes. Not pr- no. Yeah, so th- this is actually pretty cool. So the ragtime mouse is a friendly monster. He appears, he dances, and on either side of them, him, he has a zero and an X, um, true or false. And what he does is he asks you a series of, I think, 20 questions, and you just choose if they're true or false. And if you win, he gives you a bunch of money and eventually a ton of AP. Um, But what it does is it rewards exploration, right? So there's a ton to explore in this game, a ton of NPCs to talk to, things like that. And every one of his questions, they're really obscure, like when was this place founded and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's all stuff that you can learn just by talking to people and exploring. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, rewarding exploration is always a good thing. It's, uh, it's objectively good. But yeah, we get to Condipedi, a village of, uh, I wrote vaguely Scottish dwarves. Um, that's not true. They are explicitly Scottish dwarves. Yeah, they're, the, the text is explicitly Scottish. I don't understand why it's vaguely at the um, very least, Scott-ish-ish. Yeah. <laughs> like, they don't let you in unless you yell, rally-ho, which is their greeting. Yeah, and with a little fist pump. No, I was going to say, and with a rally-ho, we can uh, we kind of rally ourselves down, on, down the road to a village of black mages. Uh, let's, let's explore Condipede first. We're, we're maybe pacing a little too quickly now. Well, I mean, I... Okay, I didn't really think anything happens, and like that's in- interesting. So when we're when we're in Condipede, one of the things that we first notice is the people here are talking to and about Vivi, um, as if he has been there before, and they're not afraid of him. And this is the first time that that's happened. And in a couple of ATEs, um, some of the villagers refer to them as pinty hits. Um, and in fact, a mage actually comes to the village, and um, sells stuff at the market <laughs> and Zidane hears this eventually and he's like huh wait did you did you say pointy hats and they say nay I said pinty hats 
And that's one of my favorite dialogues in this whole place. It's hilarious. <laughs> but you are you are uh, you are correct. So we we do we're on chase to find uh, these black mages, and they tell us that they live in a village that's so deep the owls don't even go there. So we find that deep in a forest, and it's a little puzzle where you have to just read the sign and go left or right depending on whether the owls live there or not. Um, and eventually you see a mage undoing a sort of, uh, what do you call it, illusion spell um, that unmasks the village, and you're able to get in. Right, and we find an entire village of mages that look just like Vivi and uh, talk just like Vivi, and uh, he's overwhelmed. They're not really overwhelmed. Um, they're kind of just chilling, but he's very taken aback by this. Well, they're not chilling. They're scared. Um, they don't like humans. So when um, when you go in, eventually they like they're kind of shocked, and they're like, "Ah, humans are here." Uh, we don't know why they're afraid of humans yet, but um, we learn a lot about Vivi's backstory here, and we get a lot of his uh, internal struggle, uh, character struggle about you know being alive and going to die. Right. He has this whole powwow with the chief of the village. And they yeah, talk about his origins. They talk about the life, like lifespan stuff, like that. Ben, do you want to d- dive into the cemetery stuff? Um, I would be happy to. I think though, it's also worth noting that when you arrive, Vivi's theme is playing, and it sounds like something straight out of Epcot in the 1980s. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's just very funny and very synth heavy. I like but, how you're keeping us honest with our themes here. Look, I'm just, I'm, I'm here for it, and I love what Umatsu does with all of the music in this game, and it is. It is just incredible. So they speak like Vivi, and Vivi is um, very, very emotionally inflamed by by the fact that this village exists and that there are people that look like him here. I mean, mages, at least, that look like him. So he chases um, some that he has seen, and he finds himself in a graveyard where he speaks with two other mages about a mage who has recently, and there are big quotes here, stopped which is a very very strong statement when we think about what stopped actually is i mean i know i spent some time reflecting on what it means to stop um and i found if i oh i'm sorry please no i was gonna say if i may i wanted to read uh a quote that that um the two mages here are mr 36 and mr 288 um they all have numbers mr 288 is sort of the wise one um, and, uh, Mr. 36, they're talking about one of their, or excuse me, um, Mr. 36 is the one that stopped. I didn't write down the, uh, one that's talking. There's a lot of numbers. It's all right. Um, but the one that's talking that doesn't quite understand the idea yet, um, he says this, I came here with Mr. 36. We had so many things to learn. It was really scary at first, but we helped each other. Then one day, Mr. 36 stopped moving. He just stopped. Wouldn't move or say anything. My friend who knows lots of things told me that this was what death was, and we had to bury him. Mr. 36 is buried under the ground now. But I don't understand why. He's going to come out again one day, right? When he does, I'm going to wash him off in the pond. (laughs) And I wrote that down, and then just underneath it I wrote heartbreaking. Like, it's just, this is really wrenching, like, following their journey, learning, becoming aware in general, learning what death is, and then facing it so quickly, like, within the span of, like, a month. It's really sad. It's it's a profound moment because 
as we see from who Vivi is, who is seemingly the same as them, there's they can be just chock full of emotion and thought like any other living being in the world. And here they are watching each other just stopping. And there's this assumption that, oh, well, we'll, we'll bury them and it'll be okay. And, and we'll wash them off sometime whenever they're done, whenever they start again. It's a, it's loosely an allegory for like humans. If you really would like to, to make that comparison, I think that the, that the story of the small village of black sorcerers could be somehow compared to like who we are as humans, even though our, our lifespan is usually like me- median, I would say about like 70 years in the modern day, which is pretty impressive to be honest, 60 to 70, I'm assuming is like where you're supposed to live. Um, it depends on which time frame you look at at look at it with like the lens at which you view that lifespan so like the lens in which they view their lifespan could be minutes and seconds not days and hours and weeks so um i view it with relativity but looking at it through like us as humans looking at their short life and them looking at longer lives of real humans and other races i could see how that contextualizes itself in the world and becomes meaningful and this this is very meaningful um i think that the black mage village um where they all look like him is like a nice little breath of fresh air i i do love the music um i switched off the orchestral soundtrack for this and i'm happy i did yeah it's an impactful moment you could if you wanted to i think extend that sort of metaphor um into this uh, an anti-war message right because these these black mages solely wanted to get away from the war that was causing the misery and then yet eventually as as we'll see it is war that is their undoing right they're they're promised all of these false promises through kuja through the one leading the war and it inevitably doesn't work out for them they're being used as pawns it you can extend that into a pretty blatant anti-war message and i'm not saying that it was intentional um but i'm also not saying that it's a wrong reading into it you know what i mean um I think the parallels are definitely there. I'm glad we're diving into this now because it is a theme that will come back. I mean, Vivi has a lot of asides where Vivi wrestles with this throughout the rest of his Yeah, that's his, um, that's his character arc. That's his full character arc is, is, who am I? And now that we know who he is, where he has come from, as the elige of, as the elige of the Vilder, as the village elder <laughs> has described to him, um, he, his, his first... Like I said, the first thing that we want to know is who is he, where does he come from? And then the second half of his arc is how does he come to grips with the fact that he is who he is and he has the lifespan that he does? Um, Because we will come to find out that Vivi does live longer than the average one of these black mages. Um, But uh, not by much longer. So he will still come to the same fateful end. So just finishing this section out, uh, Vivi does ask Mr. 288 how many mages have stopped, um, to which Mr. 288 says, thank you for using our words, but you know what it means to live and die. Um, he says less than less than a year, more or more or less a year, excuse me. Um, like Vince said, we do eventually find out Vivi was the prototype um, and will live longer. Mr. 288 says, I haven't told anyone else about their lifespan or they'd feel the same way I do. Fear? I don't want to stop. But the joy of living in the village outweighs the fear of death. <laughs> so it's like, and keep in mind, Vivi is nine. 
<laughs> yep. He, he is nine years old and he's wrestling with his mortality. Cano- um, canonically nine, technically less than a year old. Um, right. One, one more important bit of information that becomes important later. Uh, we learn about Zidane's past. Basically, Zidane doesn't know where he's from. Uh, Baku took him in at a young age. You know, Baku is Baku. He beats him up and stuff. Um, we also learn about all Zidane can remember is a blue light. And that becomes very important towards the end of the game. But uh, now the mages tell you that you may be able to go past the sanctuary in Kondapiti, if you get permission at Kondapiti. So back you go. I think one thing that was beautiful in Zidane's little recall of his childhood was that home was a place that only existed in his dreams. I found that statement to be extremely powerful and it it kind of struck me in a particular way but that's that's for another time once we sorry ben once we find out about home that statement becomes a lot more of a literal um thing like more more of a literal than 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 just figurative language which i think is interesting but go on continue please all good so as rick was saying we are told that there's a place that's accessible through Kondapiti to get us to the next place in the game, as a black mage has told us where a silver dragon was seen. But again, it's only accessible through a very specific part of Kondapiti, which is it's to get to the sanctuary, correct? That's its its proper title? Yes, yes. So the gang unites... Well, its, tra- it's, Christ- it's Christian name is the Ifa tree, but we'll learn that oh, soon. I see. I see exactly <laughs> yes. what we're doing. But right now we know it is the sanctuary. Where have I heard that before? So the gang unites and travels back to Kondapiti, and it turns out that the only way to get <laughs> to get to where we need to go next, and this had me in stitches, so I might need to volley here, um, is by participating basically in a in a wedding ceremony of sorts, uh, which Zidane really gets the ball rolling by going up to uh, somebody and saying, "Hey, Mister, are you the holy guy?" Because <laughs> right, the, well, the whole pope. thing is like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And actually, two things that I have. Uh, it was part of their like village tradition that only the certain people, only married people, were allowed to go to the tree. Right? That's number one. Number two, you can marry Vivi and Quinna if you don't want to marry um, Garnet and Zidane, which I think is ex- hysterical. <laughs> yeah, and Qu- Quinna like looks at Vivi and just says, "I so happy," and then they just <laughs> stare at each other. Um, ben, did you did you catch the dwarf pope's name? No, what was his name? Oh, no, David, it was Father David. David Heavengard is the dwarf pope. Are you <laughs> kidding me? <laughs> that's that's no. ridiculous. I knew he went by Father David, but I must have missed the last name. David but, Heavengard. And, he, and he's, if you've never played this game, he's got a big-ass pope hat, and he's got the whole getup. It's incredible. They're not hiding. It's pretty on the nose. But you, you do that. You get married, so you're able to go through. They let you through because you've done their customs, but... This whole time, there's been a thief that's kind of sneaking in and taking their food. And as you're heading out, the thief uh, runs past, uh, runs away. And we learn that this thief, her name is Aiko. She gets herself stuck on a branch, and her Moogle, that's her, like, pet companion, runs away. And, of course, uh, Quinna wants to eat the Moogle, so <laughs> so she chases, uh, Quinna chases after said Moogle. Um, and now Aiko fills in for you. And you learn pretty quickly that Aiko is a white mage, but she can also summon. She's a summoner. And Garnett thinks 
well, this is peculiar. I'm the only summoner that I know. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, interesting to think about how many times Quinna has led us somewhere by wanting to eat something. This is I, at least three wow. by the count in my head. At least three I, times. I hadn't thought of that, but that's that's hilarious. The nose knows, boys. The nose knows. Does Quinna have a nose? Uh, how does Quinna smell? How does hold Quinna on, reproduce? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> I don't see a nose. I just see a very large tongue. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm not sure. Only a large tongue. a little boss battle as you're coming up through here um, against a giant like basically a troll um, not a big deal uh, he can do a bunch of damage but he can cast Kuraga on himself so that's something to look out for but eventually you get to Aiko's home uh, she wants to take you there first um, and it's kind of in ruins literal ruins uh, she reveals that her and everybody and her grandpa they were all summoners um, and she says she'll take you to the Ifa tree, uh, but she wants to take you to her house and cook for you first. Because, spoiler alert, she is a six-year-old girl, and she has a huge crush on Zidane. And this is an RPG, so naturally she is uh, ready to make new friends, and she lives alone because she's a kid. So, pretty pretty tropey. But uh, she, well, she doesn't the... quite live alone. She lives with a village Moogles. of Moogles. <laughs> yeah, she lives with the Moogles, that's true. But that's also pretty tropey, too, you have to admit. Like, oh, yeah. wolf girl, you know, like, I don't know. Wolf Girl's not the only example I could think of, everybody, but it was the one that came to mind. So, um, Madane Sari, the village of lost summoners, is where we are at. And, like, I go, like Rick said, Iko does all that stuff, and she talks to us and says, Hey, like, I will help you up, but I'm going to cook you dinner first. So, you do a bunch of stuff in the village of lost summoners um, in order to get an airship out of there. So, we are trying to get an airship out of this place. Yeah, we we don't get the airship for quite for for a little bit, um, but that is our ultimate goal here. We you do get to do a little mini. It's not really a mini game, but you get to assign what Moogles prepare what food. It doesn't change anything except for a scene with Quinna, uh, which is actually kind of cool. Quinna shows up. Um, you, Quinna gets fished in by a fishing line, which is just absurd. But um, you know, Quinna That's helps the, cook. The leader of our story, folks. The leader of our <laughs> grand tale. Uh, Quinna does help cook, which is kind of cool seeing Quinna do things uh, that she's good at. Uh, we get some more ATEs. Vivi's still sort of grappling with life and death. He wonders where he's going to go when he dies, which is interesting. Uh, Garnett also wonders how she fits in with the Summoner tribe, feeling like she lost some of her self uh, once she lost her Eidolons. She feels that she has been there before she feel it feels very familiar to her right yeah yeah and speaking of those summoners um a moogle takes you to this giant wall called the eidolon wall um it's a circular room with uh without a roof and it's filled with paintings of eidolons and summons that have been through the whole series like ifrit bahamut um i actually think red 13 from final fantasy 7 is painted on the wall which is pretty cool 
Um, but this was a holy place. The summoners were the ones that named the planet. Um, all of this is being told to you by Morrison the Moogle. I don't know why I think that's funny. But the the Eidolons, the summons, used to keep it safe. Um, and the summoners protected them. Uh, but they all died. Uh, they all died a while back. And Ico mentions that before they died, or perhaps after, I can't quite remember, they tried to summon an Eidolon. They couldn't do it, so they sealed it in the Ifa tree, um, which happens when they can't summon Eidolons. Um, Ico does say that she won't break the seal for you, um, and you guys go to sleep, uh, except for Vivi and Zidane, who uh, get a nice scene. Zidane tries to cheer Vivi up and basically just says, Ah, don't worry about it, buddy. It'll be okay. So, complete platitudes. And then they pee together. Yep. They have a little piss. Friendship through piss. They cross streams. In the morning, you all decide to leave. Uh, Quinna once again stays behind. Um, And you go to the Ifa tree. Yes, and um, we notice here at the Ifa tree that there is no mist. No, never mind. We fucking don't. Holy shit. Never mind. Sorry. I read the wrong. There's mist. There's mist everywhere. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Iko does break the seal. Um, She's able to talk to Eidolons and animals because of her horn. Garnet cannot hear this. So now we're inside of the Ifa tree. You travel along the roots to get to the tree after the aforementioned seal is broken by Iko and her horn. And eventually you find a platform that has this kind of strange inscription on it. Zidane gets on it, and it rides down, and everyone's scared. It comes back up. He goes, don't worry, guys, let's go for a ride. And everyone jumps on, and it's it's a grand old time. However, this platform takes you deeper and deeper into the tree, and you see this strange, swirling structure that kind of lines the inside of what you would imagine is the trunk of the tree. And there are... More you find you follow more roots and and veins and so forth of the tree, find your way down to this area, and there's a lot of undead enemies, Draco zombies, zombies, and the likeness thereof. All of these enemies too, you can use uh, life, the white magic spell life on them, and they will get one shot. And that goes for the upcoming boss too. Any undead enemy takes damage from healing spells or items, so uh White magic spells like life and full life will instantly uh, take them down. So this section is uh, super easy if you know that knowledge going into it. I didn't. Well, it's not. Nor it's I. one of those things where it's like it's it's in the lore, but they never explicitly tell you it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's really frustrating. That is so frustrating. I can't believe you're just telling me that now. So as you are swirling down this tree and fending off enemies you eventually find your way to the top of this strange oversized looking green harp sort of thing at least it looks like a harp to me kind of like a larger version of what we saw in um eclaira which i thought was interesting and obviously like in other sections there's items you can find all over the place it's kind of a machine-like tree. It's it's very it's 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 very strange. It's this is very I don't know how to describe this section. It's very sci-fi. Yeah, it's it's very it, it's got hints of watercolor, but also mechanical elements, 
but it is a tree. It's it's very interesting. Right. It's I love I love the aesthetic. Um, I wish they did more with it. Um, there's not a whole lot you do here where you're in control. Yeah. Um, my, I, I find it interesting that the roots of the tree are just a giant harp and the color and all of that stuff. It doesn't really fit with the overall vibe of what's been going on. Just like this concept of green hellfire under this tree doesn't really make much sense to me, but, um, we I didn't, fight. I didn't see it oh, as, ahead, as hell. I didn't see it as hellfire. It was, you know, the, the bright light at the bottom of the tree, I think just symbolized that the tree is alive. It's pumping out mist as it's alive. Um, and I think this is where you were going with this, Vince. Um, the tree boss uh, called Soul Cage does eventually come down. Um, and he does the whole thing, the whole nine yards. You know, I've seen the end of my life and it is not now. Um, spoiler alert, it is. It is now. <laughs> you're, you're done. You're done, buddy. Um, and there's a really good line. So <laughs> I take a shot every time I say, and there's a really good line. Um, you beat this guy, the Soul Cage. And once you're out of the Ifa tree, the mist stops. And Vivi has this line, he he wonders if he did the right thing. Because stopping the mist means no more black mages being made. Or used for war, or just in general. And he says, do you think they'll hate me? Or like, I think they're all going to hate me. And like, <laughs> I just want to reiterate again, this poor kid is nine. Like, he's... D- it's I, he he is such a tragic character in this, a lo- a beloved character, but it's so sad what's what's happening to this poor kid. At this point in the game, we find ourselves kind of working our way back to Madain Sari, if I'm not mistaken, and that's whenever we find that Iko's stone has been stolen. Correct, the one that her grandfather said to never leave the never leave the area for. Yeah, if you remember in the previous episode, we said that summoner jewels are really important, and Ico had one, and it's been stolen. And it has been stolen. And we eventually work our way to... What's the name? It's escaping me. The name of the, the place within Madain Sari that has all of the Eidolon. The Eidolon wall. Is it called the... Is the, That is the wall itself? Is the, is the actual Colosseum-looking thing? Yeah, the wall the wall is the entire circular interior. Since I guess since it doesn't have a roof, it is technically a wall. Mm-hmm. Well, that's yeah, fair. I don't that's, know. Yeah. No, yeah, no, that's that's not wrong. Um so Ico has gone off looking for the stone, presumably. At least that's what we're led to believe. Um and that's where we find Ico being held up by Lonnie. Is that is that the prop the is that her Christian name? Is Lonnie. That was the name she was baptized with. Um, it, well, I don't, I don't know what she believes in. But Lonnie is holding Iko hostage in exchange for, I believe it is, um, it is, it is a stone, is it not? They're trying. She's trying to acquire, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, Garnet's stone. So yep. she, she has Iko and Iko's stone. She wants Garnet's stone, and there's really not much they can do until our good friend. Amerant jumps down. So uh, Vince alluded to this earlier, but Amerant and Lonnie are partners. Um, but Amerant jumps in, and despite being on the same job as Lonnie, uh, he makes her drop Iko, who wakes up. 
Uh, he calls her a hostage-taking scumbag and demands that she leaves. So he's apparently super strong because she's really afraid of him. Uh, so she leaves the pendant and Iko, and she leaves. <laughs> and then Amaran says, all right, now you have to fight me uh, because he's got a grudge against the Dane, which is his entire character. That's it. It's... I, I've mentioned this before, um, but how do you guys feel about this this jabroni? Like, how do you, what do you think of him? He's just a giga chad. I like him as a character, but his arc is not great. It barely exists, right? Yeah, it's yeah, it doesn't. It's his whole thing is like I work alone. I am strong. Angst. Yeah, and later on in the game, when we do like an entire side small story mission just for him i find that frustrating because i think it's dumb so he he basically joins the team right he's he's like whatever we, beat him, guys. we defeat him and then he's like oh you've defeated me i will now be on your team and then well he's up. yeah he he gets defeated and then zidane won't kill him and he's like Rah. he doesn't understand how you could not kill him after you beat him in a fight so he's like i'll tag along so i can figure out why it's like, come on, dude. They're, it's like the writers just got to him, and they're just like, ah, we just want to get done with this fucking game. What do we do with him? Yeah, but they said that 52% of the way through the game. I Hey, man, I don't know. They also, like, he's, as a character, he's not good. Like, his attack stat is comparatively low. I think it might be the lowest base attack stat in the game. I'm not sure about that. His, um, his chakra abilities aren't great. Um, he is the monk class. Um Really, his best ability, if I'm remembering correctly, and I could not be because I don't like using him, is if you have if you're flush with cash, you can throw it. And like if you throw ten ten gil, he does ten damage. If you throw nine nine nine, he does nine nine nine. So if you're really flush, living that Jeff Bezos life, you could do that. But otherwise, <laughs> otherwise he just sucks. Yeah, he's not great. Speaking of sucking, by this point in the game, Quinna was pretty, like, I had been working on the white magic stuff with Quinna, or sorry, the blue magic blue. stuff, and Quinna was uh, killing it. My, my Quinna, my Quinna schmoovin'. If you do all of the blue magic stuff, your Quinna can learn some good shit. Yes, Quinna, I was Ben, you and I were talking about this off mic. Ben, you're using Quinna now too, right? Not anymore, but I've used Quinna and I've had a field day with when I have used Quinna because Quinna has eaten some unnecessarily powerful enemies for me by the grace of God. Yes. Yeah, so yes. if Quinna, if there's an enemy that's got 25% of its health or lower, whether that's 20 health or uh, 5,000, Quinna can cook it and eat it um, and learn its abilities. Um, and you're exactly right, guys. Like, Quinna, if you put the time into getting her blue magic, she is... or. They are easily the I, I refer to her I refer to Quinn as she sometimes do, because the yeah. the game will do it like it's pretty good about the s slash he but then if they do it in third person it's always she uh, mm-hmm. anyway but they can become pretty broken um, and powerful so um, particularly if you get frog drop that's a spell and catch ninety nine frogs it's just so overpowered but anyways uh, Quinn is great. Uh, despite being the goofiest character.
So just moving us along a little bit, we get some more backstory. Um, uh, Garnett is singing her song, and she hears Iko singing it, um, which implies that they are both from the same place, i.e. Madame Sari. Um, she does piece together, Garnett does, that before Alexandria, she must have been here. Uh, the sun casting on the wall gives her, like, flashbacks of her village burning, and we see the opening cinematic once more. Um, Garnett's real mom died, and her adopted mom, uh, Queen Braun, she uh, became someone else entirely. So, like, Garnett's central struggle right now is she's lost two moms. Um, again, playing into this, these themes of origin and family. Um, but yeah, so we, they, they're sort of sisters, Garnett and Iko of, of a sort. Um, and Iko's happy not to be alone anymore. Um, yeah. And that it's really touching. And we learn more about that soon. There's a secret scene that I haven't got to yet, but, um, I'm really excited because it gives you like the whole thing, but yeah. Anyways, uh, Marin joins the team because honor, um, and now we are out of the Ifa tree. And we see an old friend of ours flying overhead. It's Kuja. Mr. Kuja shows up on his dragon. So so at the trunk, uh, we're, we're going to confront Kuja. Right. Um, we, we do get to talk to him a little bit. Um, he, we, uh, Garnett asks if he persuaded Braun into the war. Uh, Vivi asks Kuja if he made the mages into war machines. Um, to which Kuja calls him a bloodthirsty little puppet. Um, which feels just vile to me. Yeah, it's pretty like, low. How are you going to say that to my good boy, Vivi? Um, yeah, Kuja's a psychopath. He's He's got the same DNA as Kefka and Sephiroth, only he is not as interesting or good. Um, and he blames the war entirely on Bronze greed, and all he did was give her a little push. <clears throat> yeah, all, just a little push. <laughs> right. And it's interesting because he's not entirely wrong because we look out and see that Bronn is coming to attack Kuja herself. Um, they never explain how that relationship soured, unless I missed it. Was it was it at this point where she attacks Kuja, where she betrays yeah. him? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You're right. Um, yeah. Bron comes. She says she's going to show him the ultimate power. She um, weirdly she orders all the mages to focus their power into one spell. Um, you do some super easy battles. Um, Kuja is like playing a game with her, so he flies down like right into her warpath. Um, and Garnett has this moment of like recognizing that Braun is evil, but it's still her only mother, like not her real mother, but like it's her only mother. Yep. Um, and <laughs> so she runs down, um, she successfully pleads. Th- this is something that I don't understand why it's in here. Um, Garnett pleads with the imprisoned Eidolon, remember at the Ifa tree? Yes. Um, who is Leviathan and it gives her the power and then they make a big deal out of saying oh no this eidolon can't help us but i don't understand why is it like is it because garnett's in a boat i looked it up and it was because that eidolon is actually an eidolon that was destined to destroy the world um and it would it's better to stay trapped so they wanted to like take it out and use it to fight against queen Braun, but they couldn't because it was an eidolon that was supposed to do the exact opposite and just destroy everything so that's why it stayed there. Well, that they, that's a that's a bit of ludo narrative dissonance then, because you get the Eidolon and you get, you're free to use it for right, the rest of the right. game, right? Oh, Le- Final Fantasy, come on! Leviathan, for the record, is actually um, a biblical mythical beast um, 
who I believe was uh, the scourge of the Levites. But that's that's your little fun fact there. There's definitely a lot of religious over and undertones in these games, um, particularly if you ever get to 10. That game is all about religion and why it is sometimes bad, but sometimes good. <laughs> One yeah. of those. Um, but Braun summons Bahamut. Um, actually, sorry, Ben, did you want to take it from here? Braun summons Bahamut, who, uh, speaking of all these names, is a mythical beast of the ancient days of sorts, although it looks more like a cow depicted in other um, other sorts of records. Mm-hmm. Um, Bahamut like is... Satan. That's what Bahamut looks like. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah kind of big boy. Oh, you're, you might be thinking of Baphomet. Right, but they're based Baphomet. on, I believe. But yeah, I think they're they're they look pretty. Wait, no, I think Baphomet is the cow one, and Bahamut is the the one that looks kind of like more like a man. I know. No, ba- Baphomet is goat head, uh, human body. Got it. Um, okay. The one that does this this sign. And Ifrit is um, a demonic creature from the Islamic uh, texts. But I digress. Um, so Bron summons uses these Eidolons to summon Bahamut. And somehow, Kuja has connections upstairs, and I don't mean necessarily with uh, the divine as we know it, but basically (laughs) takes over, literally hijacks Bahamut, and turns Bahamut against Queen Braun, who is looking, who is looking this thing in the eye, this thing that she summoned that she was going to use for her own gain. And it literally blasts her, not completely to her death, but just sends her and her ship flying. Um, and we come to this really surprisingly emotional scene where Amarant, Amarant, um, Vivi, Zidane, Iko are all kind of quietly in the sand watching Braun breathe her last breaths talking to her daughter um garnet who is and braun is laying there saying i am empty now free of that terrible greed and it's just like i i get goosebumps now as i even read this just because it's such good writing and it's such a good story um it's incredibly impactful and vivi has this little not voiceover but like thought over you know what i mean yeah um and he thinks like you know, I hated Bronn so much that I wanted this to happen. But mm-hmm. now seeing like Garnett like crying over this, I don't, I don't know what to feel. And then he's like, I, I he's like, I kind of want to cry now. And it's <laughs> again like it's this nine year old kid like going through. Um, maybe uh, no, I don't think it's heavy handed at all. Actually, going through and like figuring out what emotions mean. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's the writing's incredible here. Yeah, it is. It is. It is, and we'll see, like, and we do find out that that it really wasn't Bronny's fault at all. I mean, spoiler alert: you, if you've played with a, us thus far, like, she was it, she was not of sound mind or body when she made all of those decisions and did all of those things, and and um, it's a shame that she kind of comes to that end, and and I mean, but that's kind of like the catalyst for our whole story. So, it's a chicken or egg type deal. So to kind of scooch us along just a little bit here, we are fast forwarded to the burial site of Queen Bronn, where there is Princess Garnet, who has been given a a wreath of red roses to put on her tombstone. And now it's strange because she is now the assumed queen. 
both Steiner and Beatrix are now answering to her, and uh, she is kind of wrestling with the fact that she is about to be in charge of this entire kingdom, ready or not, here I come. And this is the end of disc two, I believe, technically. This is how they end disc two. Yep. There's there's a lot of uh, like loot and stuff you can find around the city, too. Um, we also get to meet, and I only bring this up for one reason. We meet um, the Moogle Artemisian, who is a purple Moogle. Um, this in town? is sort of yeah, yeah. Okay, we're back in it. Okay, this is sort of um, in Alexandria. This is sort of the central thing behind Magnet, and kind of uh, deals with why the mail is not getting delivered because Artemision is the mailman or the equivalent. Um, <laughs> he delivers a letter from quote the most beautiful Moogle in the world, and I, I have a note here. I just find it very funny that Moogles have societal beauty standards. <laughs> I something about that just made me laugh out loud because they all look the same. I think that's why <laughs> <laughs> they do. Um, but yeah, you're you're around town. Everybody is uh, Zidane is incredibly depressed. Um, and they're all talking about going to see Garnett before she becomes queen. If I might, just just to throw in like a quick aside, it's interesting. They could have ended the game really here with everyone going their separate ways, in a sense, if we would have forgotten. You know what I mean? It's just kind of strange. I, I know what you mean. I, I don't agree. I don't I, think it would have oh, been I don't a satisfying think so. game. Right. I don't think it would have been satisfying either, but I just, they kind of set it up for like, and now there's some peace for a little bit. There, there's always going to be like an inherent like peacetime, quote unquote, in one of those scenarios where it's like you thought this was the bad guy. Turns out it's this person's the bad guy, but we have to deal with bad guy one first. You know what I mean? Like it happens in Star this Wars. This game follows too, that like. very to the T. Yep. It actually, it does it twice. We get a little bit of backstory about Garnett too because of Doctor Toot, who is in the castle. It's time. Um, <laughs> so Dr. Ted is hi- helping Iko write a, <laughs> a love letter for Zidane, um, and he accepts after seeing her horn. We learn something super interesting here. Um, the day that our Garnet arrived at shore was the day after the real Princess Garnet died. And this girl that arrived on shore, her mother was already dead. Um, but this new girl looked so much like Garnet that the royal family just took her in to avoid any kind of conspiracy or whatever. The only difference was that our Garnet had her horn, and the king ordered it removed. So our Garnet, uh, at this point, I mean, if you didn't figure it out, is definitively from Medane Seri. Um, this this leads to a whole kind of funny sitcom rom com thing with the oh, love letter. Yeah, Did you guys this. like this? It was I liked ridiculous. it a lot. I think it's very cute. Basically, Iko's love letter to Zidane doesn't state any names, and it just says, like, Meet me by the, the docks. Short of, yeah, meet me by the docks. Um, but she gets stuck on the railing. Baku comes by. Baku comes by. He says he'll hand it to Zidane. He drops it. Steiner comes, Steiner sees it, and then also Blank and Marcus see it, and it leads to this big thing where Iko is at the docks at night, Blank and Marcus come looking for hot babes, um, and then they hide because Steiner's coming around just screaming at the top of his lungs at midnight. He finds the love letter, 
Um, and then Beatrix comes in because she had previously found the love letter, and they think that it's for e- each other. But the the the, the kind of cute thing here is like it it clearly ignited feelings that were pre existing between the two of them, mm-hmm. because they're almost gonna kiss until Beku comes in sneezing like everybody's Uncle Tom. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's hilarious and true. Yeah, it's a good aside. I, yeah, I, and it has I real it. world consequences. Like they wind up together, you know. I think it's really cute. Like after you know, in the aftermath of of Queen Bronnie dying, like it's it's kind of like this nice respite where they find this love, this unrequited love. Sure. So a bunch of other things happen uh, here, um, and um, the, the, namely the most important being that Garnet is now um, queen. The the queen had named her um, the rightful heir before she died. Um, so Garnet is now sitting on the throne. Yeah, everybody goes to see her, um, you know, to wish her well. Uh, Zidane can't say anything. He's kind of perplexed, you know, the the classic, you know, he's in love. He doesn't know what to do. So the whole gang is, is in the pub, uh, minus Garnet and Steiner. Um, and Dr. Ted comes in to ask Iko about Zidane. Sorry. Um she suggests going to his house at Traino because she's never been there. Um, and this comes to a bit of a controversial point in the game where you have to play the card game. So I want to ask you guys, what did you think of the card game? This card game is heavily based on the super successful card game in 8, but they changed it a little bit. So what did, what, what, how did you guys feel about it? The contest itself or the card game as a whole? The card game as a whole. Not wild about it, but once I got it down, I will say I I beat Aaron the first time. Once I had it down, it was like, oh, okay, I can do this. This isn't so bad. I had not made a huge priority of picking up cards, so uh, it was a little difficult for me. But I made it through. You, can, you, you have to make it through, you know, so made it through. It, it's fine. It's whatever. Yeah, the thing about this card, so Triple Triad in Final Fantasy VIII was this. Um, if, if you've got a number touching an, another number that's higher, you win. Lower, you lose. This game added magic and physical, but also added an RNG element, a random number generator. So if you have a three and your opponent has a two, there's a chance that they're going to beat you. And that's why most people don't like this, um, because it's random, essentially. And right, like you said, Vince, you don't know that you have to do this ahead of time. So you might not even have cards or any good cards. And it's a fine enough change of pace, I guess. This is still in the super soggy middle bread piece. Well, no, because the middle bread in a sandwich is amazing. This is in the the soggy underbelly of the middle of the game. Not great. Um, but after the tournament, Iko comes and warns Zidane and Sid about trouble in Alexandria. And guess what? Kuja is there. He's mm-hmm. summoned Bahamut, who is just destroying the hell out of the city. And Mystodons. Yeah, yeah, those things. Which, which again, um, if you use Kuraga or life on them, instant KO. Which one of our fighters here in a minute will have that. Uh, there's a little mini game where you get to choose which knights are on duty as Garnet, as Queen. It's her first orders. Um, depending on whether you choose the right ones, you'll either get nothing, a high potion, an elixir, or a pair of angel earrings. 
And this is where we get to be Beatrix again. This is one of my... God, I love this sequence. It's one of my favorite sequences in the game because, you know, the city is burning. There's turmoil in the streets. People are dying. And you get to play as Beatrix and Steiner, two of the most powerful characters in the game. Uh, Mm -hmm. Beatrix's theme is going... is going on this whole time but it's in this new iteration and arrangement that is fanfare-ish it's Mm -hmm. it's just so good it's metal of this whole section it's absolutely metal it's it's like it's like among hopelessness there is a, a a beacon of hope between these two powerful fighters who never got along before but now are uh, falling in love it, it's uh it 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 works for me so so hard i think it's a little metal but agreed with the falling in love part it is it adds a whole another level of of dimension to this which i love that in the midst of the fighting steiner is saying beatrix there's something i must tell you and she says save your valedictions for another day and i just you know she's like no now we'll li- we'll live, and I I just I love it, and they they keep going on to kick ass. And I think if it were anybody else or like just generic knight characters, I wouldn't care. But just because of how we've seen Steiner and Beatrix develop, both as individuals and as now a team, it just it just works for me. This whole this whole section, um, very good, very good. But yeah, you you do get to wake up uh, as Garnet here. Um, and you head to the top of the castle. This, this section is kind of annoying because yeah. you don't know quite where to go. And if you try to go the wrong way, you get the same animation every time that takes like five seconds of like a flash of light. Yeah. But all that being said, it's still, uh, a pathway. Basically you can't, you can't go anywhere else. Uh, you cut to Zidane and company aboard the airship that Sid somehow built as an Aguap. And Iko's jewels kind of start to begin to glow. They are the shards of the crystal that her and Garnet both share. Um, and Iko starts going on about the Holy Judgment. She jumps off of the ship and, like, is pulled towards Garnet um, and at the top of the tower uh, where she is. And she explains that this is a summoner's calling, and it is the Holy Eidolon which we will learn is Alexander. I love it. They come this. together to summon yeah, yeah. It's this this is another like very like it's a very religious inspired moment because Alexander is a summon who it it's weird. It's a city, like it's a moving city with gigantic pure white angel wings and its stat or its its element is holy. It's the holy element. And Bahamut is the opposite, a ferocious king of the dragons, um, fire shadow element. Um, so this is very, like, religious inspired. Um, and I agree with you, Ben. It, the, <laughs> it, it works for me. It, I could see people arguing it's a bit of a deus ex machina, but I don't care because it's really, it's just really, really good. Um, and he protects the city with his wings, at least for a moment. I was going to say until... <laughs> until he's broken through by is, is this, this is not this is whenever um what's his face this is the eye involved. in the sky shows up yeah, yeah so this is say, Puja's yes friend. yes Puja's, the eye in the sky yeah. garland from the we don't know who it is yet or or if there is anything if there is a who but the eye in the sky shows up 
and fucking zaps Alexander to all hell um, and destroys the entire city. Kuja is afraid of this man. Um, yes, he he is like very clearly afraid of him. It's interesting because this this is Garland. Um, Garland remarks that he gave Kuja free will in Gaia for his mission, and Kuja has lost sight, so we won't let him go any further. He also mentions Zidane too. So now this entirely new level is added, where Zidane is somehow tied to Kuja, and they're both somehow tied to. Uh, garland we don't know how yet but they are um, there's an optional boss that you can do here uh called tantarian i don't know if you guys did this i did he's not. in the light he's in the library i bring him up because it's it's a really interesting boss he's in the library um he's a book and um it's good to fight him because he gives you a ton of hp and ap as well as like good items but um he's a book you have to attack him you do next to nothing to him but when you attack him he opens up to a page and once you deal 200 damage to him, I believe it's 200. Yeah. He'll open up to like a page between 150 and 200 and then the real monster appears. Then you fight him. Then he closes and repeat, repeat, repeat. Very good boss. Um, tons of HP. But yeah, this is your last chance to fight him. I just wanted to bring it up there um, before Zidane heads to the top of the tower. Mm-hmm. And Zidane, like a romantic hero in just a game like this, ends up saving as as the tower is crumbling from um alexander's uh being compromised it turns out that zidane catches dagger in this dramatic sweep um and (laughs) it's also kind of funny that Ico is involved and is the one at the top holding the rope in the first place it's it's sort of one of those little uh banners covered in flags that uh he ends up kind of pulling a George of the Jungle on and swinging them to safety. And I know I could have said Tarzan, but I felt like including Brendan Fraser today. So Not unlike Steiner did at the beginning, just yes. in a bit more of a graceful way. <laughs> yes. And it is after this that we get our first cutscene with Garland. And Garland is kind of explaining what's going down. Um, so Sid calls a meeting, kind of regroup from the uh, war-torn Alexandria. Um, so this is the fourth nation that Kuja has destroyed, um, with their antics, or with his antics, excuse me, and, um, coincidentally now has, um, four stones that, um, they have found in each one of the cities. Sid also says that he saw Kuja leaving on his airship on the Hildegard One mm-hmm. with black mages that were talking normally. Um, he kidnapped the mages from the village, um, and he also more or less kidnapped Zorn and Thorn too, um, who he's using as like little hench, little horrible henchmen. And he's specifically plotting against Zidane. We we don't know why yet, but he Kuja has it out for Zidane, pretty bad. Uh, this is where we learn that Garnet is mute now. Um, this uh, they decide to postpone the meeting, and uh, you know, Doctor, you you learn of a potion that you can get from Dr. Ted on how to possibly cure Sid's condition to turn him back into a human. Because if Sid's a human, we can get an airship. And if we have an airship, we can confront Kuja. Mm-hmm. Um, this Garnet being mute bit, what did you, what did you guys, how did you feel about it? I mean, it makes sense to me because she's, she uses her voice for almost everything. And, I mean, they really emphasize the beauty of her voice and her singing. 
So, I mean, I, I get, I get it from like a, we need to tell a story thing, but I, I don't get it. I kind of don't like it. it. It feels like they're forcing it onto her in a way to garner sympathy from the players, but it doesn't really feel earned. Like, like I, I suppose it, it's clear that she's going undergoing grief. Like her mother just died. I was her city's lost being destroyed. Her right, but. I don't know. And especially, you know, spoiler alert for people that are playing along, she gets better. Just kind of, she just kind of gets better. Um, it, it just feels like it's thrown in there for no reason. Um, it, it just feels so superfluous to me. But anyway, uh, oh, also Quinn is back too <laughs> for most of the rest of the game now. Didn't finally. we find Quinna um, in the ocean or something? Didn't yeah, she washed up in the ocean, and the sailors thought that she was some kind of a manatee, um, and they thought she was dead, no. uh, but they very much weren't dead. No, and uh, yeah, Quina but now just... now that now that Quinna is, uh, you know, done done doing Quinna things, we're going back to the Black Mage Village, and as you might expect, it's empty except for two eighty eight. And also the two that stayed behind with the Chocobo. A really cute moment there. They stayed behind because they wanted to see the Chocobo get born. Um, and they do. And then they start crying and they're like, what is this feeling? And it's, it's really sweet. Um, fun fact, I think you can come back later. They named the Chocobo Billy Corbin, which is in a Final Fantasy context. It's just the funniest name that I've ever heard. Sounds so American. My name is Adam and Adelbert Steiner. I travel with Vivi Ornithier, and this is the Chocobo, Billy Corbin. It just no, it doesn't work. <laughs> is it is it worth mentioning that just really quick to go back to to Lindblom that you get all the stuff for the potion and you put it together, and we've turned. Regent Sid into a frog instead. That's I. Uh, I was... Yes, I, I'm really sorry about that. I, I glossed completely over that. Yeah, exactly as you said. Uh, he's a frog now. <laughs> um, the potion did not work. Uh, we do get a little more dialogue about Vivi wrestling with death here. Um, 288 doesn't want to tell you where Kuja took the mages because he doesn't want to betray them. Um, but eventually he does. He tells you his palace is on the eastern side of the continent. It's under quicksand, so you got to get there. Um, this is where we somehow get captured when this we enter the, there. I was going to ask, this is the lost continent? Um, no, this is still... This is still um, outer? Or maybe it is. I get mixed up with the continents, I, man. I do, um, too. I, I have a really hard time keeping track. Like, I know I know it's not next to Alexandria. But we but, ride the blue you know. Narciss to get there. Yes, our little ship. We we enter the palace, which is through like a, a whirlpool. Uh, not a whirlpool, jeez. Um, like a quicksand kind of deal. The screen just goes black, and then suddenly Kuja is doing like a voiceover. He caught everybody. Um, everybody is in a room with a floor that opens into lava. This is the most James Bond, Austin Powers shit I've ever seen. And heard. This is where, this point in the game, the dialogue and ideas start to become a little bit derivative. And I, on this playthrough, I'm just like, I'm not into it. Like, this isn't, the first part of the game is so strong. And then this is not. Anyways. Uh, yeah, everybody is in a similar room. You're going to die. Um, you're going to split into two parties here. One of you is going to go fetch the Gulag Stone from Oilvert. 
I think is how you say that. My guess is as good as yours. Um, and one of one of the rest of the teams uh, is going to stay in the castle. Uh, Oilvert, Kuja can't go there. This is a ham-fisted little scenario. Kuja can't go there because there's an anti-magic field. So the best thing to do is take a party that's not magic heavy um, and keep the magic users in the castle because both parties are going to be fighting. So if you haven't used one particular character and they're super weak, uh, they're going to be a liability for you. Of course I took two magicians. Yeah, I think I took I took Dagger or Garnet because she was going to be a liability no matter where she went. And then Zidane, obviously. And I took Freya and Amarant, I believe. I wanted Steiner to be with the mages just because like they needed a beefy tank character. Sure. Um, may I pick up the ball here, please? Yeah, please. Cool. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, exactly as Rick was saying, Kuja can't use magic, so you, you, you are going to get the Gulag stone, and you fight a number of enemies, and the biggest pain in the ass to me was the Epitaph, who just kept putting down over and over again the the, the teammates I would want up the most, of course. Um, just a mess. has has such a cool move where he uses a mirror and he summons like one of your fighters to fight against you. And this is going to make you super mad, Ben, I bet. But if you use a soft on that enemy because he is made of stone, instant KO. And you get the message, became too soft to live, which I am officially screenshotting and using on every political debate on Twitter I get into. That's hilarious. So you're you're making your way around... Um, oil vert as we'll call it and there are a number of really impressive weapons and items that you can find around here you after a lot of traipsing and traversing you eventually touch this stone that seems to be the touchstone and activates and kind of brings life to the entire facility i I think i saw something about stargazing or something was in the title of of what the place is i don't know i don't remember where i saw that um but you this touched... is a really interesting. I'm I'm sorry. Go, Please just go on. But but you touched. Go on. Go on. You touch stones. Uh, there's a particular one after you touch this the, the big blue stone that shows kind of. I'm what I'm guessing is oil vert back in its prime. It's because it says like the city at first flourished. Or are they talking about somewhere else? I didn't quite pick up on that. Yes, they are. So this is super interesting. Um, it's interesting, but it's not handled super well, in my opinion. Um, yeah. It's describing the fall of a civilization, but the civilization is actually Terra. And we're mm. learning about the civilization of Terra alongside mm. of our planet, which is Gaia. Um, but what's particular about this is Zidane is the only one that can read this language. Yeah. Nobody else can. And you even enter this room with, like, the walls are lined with stone faces, and when they go to speak, the speaker face, like, pushes out. It's super cool, like, it's... super trippy. But everybody else hears it as, like, Wingdings font. Yeah. <laughs> like, it appears as Wingdings. But so, so we're getting the classic trope, as, as I Vince probably men- mentioned, I think. We're getting the classic trope of, like, our hero is very special, you know? <laughs> I kind of got that, and at the same time, it kind of felt like Kevin at Trivia in The Office. 
when he goes, Marion Cotillard, like the answer, that is correct. He goes, I know because there is a scene in the movie where she exposes herself. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's kind of what it feels like. Cause not that Zidane is that level of dopey, but the fact that he is there and he's like, oh, yeah, I, I can kind of read this. And it would be like if I was like, oh, yes, Rick, let me translate that Croatian for you there, pal. Like, what? What? Why didn't I ever know this? Um, but we get these these histories, these little histories of ships that were made in this civilization. I'm guessing that was in Terra. We touch other like little light fixtures that kind of display these things. Um, and then I, I, this is, of course, after the story of what we learn later is Terra. So thank you for that. Um, we do find our way. Um, to a platform. It is, it's another one of these platforms with the triangles on it, right? Similar to the Aoife tree that takes us down. I found that kind of curious too. I want to know what the triangles mean. Um, and that's where we see the Gulag stone. And we, of course, go to touch the Gulag stone and not unlike Indiana Jones, um, you know, something, something happens, things start shaking and an enemy shows up. Um, an enemy who really didn't number on me, but Rick, I'm going to be honest with you. Ever since you told me you'd use the tent on Gizmaluk, I use a tent on literally any of the big major bosses. And, uh, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't think an unmanned, uh, not living ship, um, could be bitten, experience blindness and uh, poison from a snake bite. But, uh, sure as sunshine that happened to Ark. Um, yeah, it's, you know, this, one of my frustrations with Final Fantasy and JRPGs in general are that, like, status, um, oh, what's the opposite of buffs? Debuffs. That's the, that's, <laughs> that's the prefix. Um, <laughs> thank you, Vince, for that. Um, the problem with debuffs in these games is they're so rarely useful. Like, when they are useful, they can be very helpful. But most of the time you cast blind on an enemy or silence, it'll just say guard or miss. And it's like, well, if I'm going to waste three turns before getting it, I'm just not going to do it. Um, but then sometimes when you do do it, um, it works out. Yeah, uh, that's Ark. Uh, he's not too too terribly crazy difficult. Um, you do get to get him later as a summon, which is pretty cool. Uh, he's an Eidolon. But... Uh, yeah, the game does reset then to the palace. Vince, do you want to pick it up at the palace? So we're at the desert palace, and it's a puzzle that revolves around uh, lighting candles to open doors and things. Um, pretty Legend of Zelda style. Nothing crazy here. It seems like just another time-wasting puzzle. How did um, you guys feel about the red light, green light thing with the hedgehog pie as as uh, playing as Frog Sid? I loved it. I thought it was cute. It was cute. I got to be honest with you, so I'm playing this game for the first time on Switch. I actually, you know, I, I put my Switch away for a long time because I just got so mad at Smash Brothers and that was really all I played on it. Um, so I'm I'm really getting into Switch for the first time, really for the first time, basically. Um, this pissed me off so much because of the delay. There's an inherent delay, button delay, latency, input lag, whatever you want to call it, on Switch. And I, I could not get it. I, this took me like five tries because I would be mashing the A button. I thought I would stop in time, but the delay, it had me go. And then the hedgehog pie scared you. And then 
the kicker is when you go back there as the Dane or um as Ico or whoever you're controlling, the hedgehog pie is like a foot tall. It's so small. <laughs> it's like well, this you are is a what frog. I'm scared of? I mean, yeah, yeah fair. You are a mustachioed frog. That's fair. Sorry, I I wanted to talk about red light, green light because that, yeah, I thought it was funny. Anyway, sorry, sorry, Vince. Rock and roll, You're, Vince. It, all you. So after the candle puzzle, we fight Vali, Valia, um, Pira. It's a security system, and it looks like like a big head. Um, it basically you just kind of like beat it. It's not terribly difficult. It it reflects your attacks back at you, which which is kind of tedious and annoying. But uh, Ben, go. No, 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 please. I, I, I'm it, listening to you. I was just I have something to say. If you weren't going to say it, please continue. Please say, it, it. Ben. Is it about the bloodstones? Maybe it is. It definitely. Oh yeah, is. I yeah. Was, yeah. Go ahead. If you have your bloodstones on your characters, it makes this battle infinitely easier. If you're using the items that you have gathered. Um, also a certain summon by the name of Carbuncle, um, has basically been helpful to me throughout everything. Um, which again, I, I give Rick credit there cause that was a really good guiding point. But honestly, I just, I don't think anyone died for me in this fight because of using the bloodstones. It basically powered down. I mean, Valia Pira yeah. tried to attack, but because of Carbuncle and because of all the bloodstones, it was the easiest boss fight in the game and we're near the end. Yeah, at the beginning of, of the fight, it'll say, like, it'll try to activate, like, attack power up, defense power up. But if you got the bloodstones, it'll just say failed. Um, I didn't know that. Yep. Yeah, it's it's one of those things, like, I, I like that this game doesn't hold your hand, like um, Final Fantasy thirteen, for example. Um, and I like that it rewards exploration. Like, I, I know I said it before, but, like, exploration being rewarded outside of, like, just getting cool items, it's always good always good i will always love it um and it's rewarding you for like picking up this stuff and it's like hey have this one's on us <laughs> like go for it i guess but yeah then we get a little meanwhile uh zidane and company kind of return and kuja says to hand over the stone by himself mm-hmm. what we don't know is that kuja is tricking us um he showed us that our friends are okay but he's tricking us with like holograms or projections or illusions so the whole crew runs in to try to stop Zidane Aiko gets locked out um, because she's slow or she's just the last one in and she gets uh, taken by Zorn and Thorn those devilish little demons those little tricksters those hucksters those jesters those clowns those fools (laughs) alright I'm done I'm not gonna keep going I was running out of words anyway I'm still here for it. Um, I I had another note here that this is like, again, the dialogue here is just getting, especially Kuja, just so derivative. Like, I was going to kill you morons anyway. Ha ha ha. Like, it worked for me as a 12-year-old, but like... I get it. I don't know. It's just like, you know, we've covered on the show stuff with good dialogue, like Majara, like Witcher, like Disco, and like... This game does it so well that when it doesn't, it's really noticeable. But anywho, um, Kuja does take the stone. He teleports to his airship and he flees to the Lost Continent. I wrote that one down. Um, <laughs> you auto chase him in the Narcissus, the Blue Narcissus. It goes very slow. Um, I turned on hyperspeed for this. 
and you're going to a place called Estogaza, uh, mm-hmm. which is a holy church, sanctuary. Temple, whatever you want to call it. You're the expert here. What do you mean? Oh, well, I, I, know, what I, I know what I do for a living. Um, but yeah, do, to that end, do, would you like me to carry the ball, Richard? I'm happy to. Sure. So we're, we're at Esto Gaza, and um, things are getting out of hand. Um, no, they're not necessarily getting out of hand. But you, you meet this bishop who's really given you some attitude. And I, I wasn't quite fond of, of this bishop who was like, hey, can, I'm not can, I, can I tell you what I wrote? Please. Are you guys ready for this? Yeah. Vince, are you ready for this? Oh, undoubtedly. I, I, I wrote that the priest was being a little holier than thou. Oh, <laughs> uh, oh! I'm so lonely. That hurt. Join the club. So, so the the priest, the holier than thou priest, is like, I don't need to tell you nothing. But then he ends up telling you that Kuja has come through, and he you actually get a cutscene where you see Kuja and the black mages carrying Iko, um, all, all through, through the the temple that that's that's there. Um, and he eventually tells you that that's the way that you have to go, and then you end up having to, um, you're following this path, and the game really, and I, I haven't really gotten to say this, but the game does a really nice job of gently showing you where you're supposed to go, making it obvious, but still making it artistic, and there are some games where it's just a little bit too too obvious, um, dare I name some Sonic games, um, but it it still keeps it kind of kind of beautiful and creative but anyhow so you're following you're following this path and this it's, it seems to be a very snowy area this esto gaza um you traverse along these paths ice everywhere as previously um mentioned it's kind of snowy and that's whenever you find yourself in this sort of it kind of felt like just a reprint of fossil rue i knew it wasn't but it's sort of another cave mining mountain thing it's uninspired, I think is the best way to put it. I think it is too. Um, you encounter a number of enemies here, and it's kind of puzzle-ish, but not not so puzzle-ish that it kicks your rear. I liked fighting the dragons because I don't know what the hell I did to Vivi, but Vivi actually loves being attacked by wind attacks. And I again, I don't know what I did, but anytime Vivi was attacked by the dragon, if it wasn't just the dive move, um, Vivi gained health. So the whole team would die. And Vivi would kill two dragons at a time, and his level would go up by like three or four at a time. So, uh, yeah, you must have had him equipped with something that absorbed wind. Um, but just that's a perfect aside. Um, there's a little leveling up trick that you can do um, shortly here once you get your uh, airship. Um, and I, I bring it up because you mentioned that everybody was dead. Um, you can fight if you remember that area above Gizmaluk with the dragons. That's a really good place to farm for EXP. Um, and a trick that I've been doing is I I purposely kill Zidane and then just have two or three party members fighting. Um, and they get way more experience that way. Hmm. Um, so, like, if it's four people and you get 4,000 experience points per and you kill one, then that 12,000 is now divvied up between... Um, or wait, that 16,000 is divvied up between three people or two people or however many um that's a good tactic to use if there's one character that's like stupidly under leveled you know yeah i don't know Mm -hmm. sorry uh little diversion no it's a good Um, diversion less to share i think i like that strategy 
So after after exploring the mine, we do come across Iko. Um, she's on an altar. This is exactly what Zorn and Thorn did to Garnet before. Um, it fails when they try it with Iko. Um, and it's because <laughs> her pet Moogle, Mog, um, surprise, Mog's an Eidolon. Um, I love Mog this. comes out. I... I have mixed feelings. I, I like that Mog is useful um, like that. I Again, you can call so many things in Final Fantasy a deus ex machina. Some of it just works, you know? I just I just love the fact that Mog is like, look, first of all, look at Mog. Look at a picture of Mog, okay? She's, and, she's so cute. And then Mog's like, I, with, with their eye, you know, their eyes, I will be with you always, Aiko. And then like <laughs> disappears, turns into this, this Eidolon that's like a lion with wings and, and not exactly a griffin, unless it is supposed to be a griffin. And literally, <laughs> I mean, th- th- they do get clobbered by this Eidolon. Um, and this this was a big surprise to me. So, Yeah, um, they do clobber Zorn and Thorn, or I should say um, Mog does. But they come back as this weird, their corporal bodies are done, right? Um, or corporeal? Corporal? No, corporal is a, a rank. Corporeal? Corporeal! Thank you. Oh my god. Yes, they're no longer corporal. They're demoted to a uh, scout. Um, thank you. I'll be here all week. There, yes, they're corporeal. Yep. Um, bodies are done, but they're resurrected as this weird hybrid beast. Um, it's not a hard battle. It's, it's pretty easy. You clobber them. There's the clobbering. Um, Vivi checks on the mages afterwards. It's really sad. They knew they were being lied to about Kuja extending their lives. Um, and before Kuja left, he called them all fools for believing him. Um, and they're all kind of depressed. <laughs> so <laughs> Vivi just sits with them. Um, and for some reason, because why not, uh, Hilda, Sid's wife, is down here. Yeah. Um, they, her and Sid get back together after a very simple, like, oopsies, uh, whoopsie doopsie, I'm so sorry for cheating on you. And then she says, oh, honey, I... I come here i'll Um, never do it again it's so dumb um what's even dumber is after talk about derivative writing is after this so kuja told hilda his entire plan he's just a he's a narcissist he's a blabbermouth he loves to narrate his own thoughts um as it were um we all know somebody like that um and she's like yes his plan was horrendous. It was a scene out of a nightmare. And then she says, but at least he wasn't a skirt chaser. Like, yeah, lady, the he's planning on ending the goddamn world, but at least he didn't hit on a woman at a bar. <laughs> like, what even is this? And it's, it's worth saying that uh, this commentary that happens between Hilda and Sid happens both in in Mount Gulag under the ground, as well as back at Lindblom Castle. Uh, the, the conversation happens in both places. The first time she's like, I didn't marry a frog, and turns the cold shoulder. Um, and then this whole exchange of wasn't a skirt chaser, all of that sort of stuff, you know, that, that more so happens a little bit later on. And um, I her final threat was something like, you know, I will change you back, but if this ever happens again your fate will be much worse. And he goes, "Uh, I I, I promise I won't. But she does turn him back. Um, He is a man with the most magnificent and gravity-defying mustache I have ever seen. Yeah, so um, they have a little meeting. 
and basically Hilda tells everybody Kuja's plan. Um, he's using Gaia to acquire a greater power. He is from Terra, which is only accessible through this thing called Shimmering Island. Um, but trouble's afoot. Garnett's missing. Um, she can magically talk again. Who knew? Um, I'm sorry. I, I Maybe I'm being unfair to that plot point. I think it's dumb. It makes zero sense. It has nothing to do with the plot. I, I get why they why. did it. Yeah, I, I get why they did it, but it doesn't really do anything for the story at hand. This is another part that I thought was really weak and forced. Um, Garnett cuts her hair here, um, which is a forced metaphor to show the viewers that uh, she's growing. You know, they're telling us that she... I, I like to say that games need to show and not tell. You know, you can't just say that people are friends. You can't just say somebody's changed. This is not what I mean when I say showing, right? This is like, this is a metaphor I would have used in like my sophomore year of high school. And I would have thought that I was hot shit. But it's like, she cuts her hair. But um, th this does lead to a line that I never noticed before. Um, as soon as Garnett comes back with her cut hair, Iko sees it and immediately says, Garnett, your hair. Zidane broke your heart, didn't he? And I, I laughed out loud That's because like awesome. life, exper life experience, you know, that mm -hmm. <laughs> it happens. Yep. People change. They, you know? they, I've seen it happen where people will change their hair after their heart's broken. It's not a criticism. You go through, it's just a thing. You go through a breakup, you, you work out or you go through a breakup, you, you get bangs or, you know, I'm trying to think of the, um, heteronormative guy equivalent of cutting your hair. Out of my hair. I'm gonna wash that. I think it's the gym, going to the gym. Getting yoked? Yeah. Among other things. I'm sorry, things. Ben. I, I didn't know what you were singing, so I wasn't oh, gonna... I, I was singing, I'm gonna wash that man right out of my hair. I've never heard that That doesn't song. clear anything it's up. It's from a musical. <laughs> it clears nothing up. No. Um... We're almost done with this episode. Um, this is where we get our first airship, um, which opens up the game almost 100%, with the exception of golden chocobos, because they can get places airships can't. This is where you can do all your side quests. So I wanted to talk about a couple of those here. We talked about the friendly monsters already. We talked about the ragtime mouse. We talked about catching frogs. Um... There is a big side quest called Chocobo Hot and Cold. Um, Vince, Ben, did either of you partake in Hot and Cold? Didn't touch no. it. This is about where I got, so. Well, Hot and Cold, you can start this at, in disc one. Um, what Hot and Cold is, is you go on a Chocobo, you, it sets you on a timer, you dig for treasure. And, you know, it's like you're cold, you're getting colder, you're getting hotter, you're getting hotter. Um, you can dig up these things called chocographs, which lets you, which it's, this is a treasure hunt. It's a, a treasure hunt, um, a scavenger hunt. It'll give you clues as to where they are. Some of them are really stupidly difficult to find, but it's a massive side quest that gets you some of the best items in the game, including several ultimate weapons and armor. It grants you access to new chocobos. You can get chocobos that walk on water, walk over mountains, and then eventually fly. It gives you access to Chocobo's Air Garden, um, which gives you access to the super boss Ozma that I said I was going to do, but I can't um, because I'm not going to spend 10 hours on Chocobo Hot and Cold this time. But I've done it before and I have the Steam achievement to prove it. 
That's crazy, Rick. You spent 10 hours doing that dinky little side quest that gets you nothing? It, it gets you a lot of stuff. I Maybe 10 hours is a bit of an exaggeration, but it takes a long time because you're never guaranteed. There are like 30 or 40 chocographs, and you're never guaranteed to find one. So you have to play the game over and over till you find one. Then you have to find it and then do that again, rinse and repeat. It's... Without a guide, it is just I couldn't. I simply couldn't. Fun. But the rewards are cool. You get good items. You can fight Ozma. Um, some areas, you can't go without the Chocobo that flies. So you can't finish the friendly monster quest without that Chocobo. Um, you can't... I think you might not be able to find Magnet Central, um, the actual like mail factory <laughs> that you have to go to to help the Moogles. Um, but it's just so long... And I hate playing hot and cold. I have, and I don't like scavenger hunts. I damn, bud. It sounds like you could have done yourself the favor and uh, not done, it. <laughs> not done <What>? it. <laughs> <laughs> have you thought about not doing that horrible thing? Have you considered no, I, the I, possibility? <laughs> well, that's why I didn't want to do it on this playthrough, man. Because like it's it's too much, but. Anyways, I think those are most of the side quests. You can fight the monsters in Traino. Um, they'll give you good items. Um, and EXP, um, card collecting is not really a side quest. Um, getting blue magic, kind of a side quest. Um, I know I'm missing some, um, but I think for the sake of time, we could probably just move on. Did you guys do any side quests at all? No. no. I got... I Yeah, no. Did you... And Magnet, I guess, is considered a side quest. So if you delivered any mail for any of the Moogles. Um, I did because I think that's cute. I think the Magnet's cute. So cute. I did that. If if I ever get a tattoo, I think my first one is going to be a Moogle. That's, that'd be a really cool one, actually. Moogles are I think, cool. I mean, oh, sorry. Yeah, excuse my yawning. <laughs> they're, they're cute, fat little things um, that have societal beauty standards. Um, and they make and deliver mail. <laughs> <laughs> they make squeaky noises, and they let you save. You can camp. They're multifunctional. Yeah. Um, but Hilda tells us, sorry, getting us back on track. Hilda tells us that our next stop is Ibsen's Castle. I think this will be the last thing that we talk about in this episode. Um, this is an interesting castle that does something I really like, but it doesn't nav- it doesn't um, advertise it well. Weapons here are inverted. So if you have a dagger from the beginning of the game with like 10 attack power, that is your most powerful weapon. And your only clue into this, aside from just figuring it out, is Zidane says, this castle looks like it's upside down. And you're finding a lot of low-level weapons. That's really your only clue. Not amazing. Um, ben, I also texted you about this today. The music here, Umatsu doesn't actually put it in retrograde or invert the melody. But he does use this really uncanny octave displacement while he's doing the melody that makes it sound, it sounds like it's broken. It sounds like it's malfunctioning kind of in a way as much as you can with something so um, steeped in like standard practice harmony. I, I thought it was cool. I, I, I liked it a lot. Um, Ibsen's is really short. It's um, you're going here to find the things that you need to break the seal. Um, Amerant has a little moment and he's like, working with people is dumb and you're dumb for doing it. I'm going to go beat you to it. And you're just like, okay, Amerant, whatever. Um, but he does beat you to finding the items. 
and you take out these mirrors. There are four elemental mirrors that are on a mural of Gaia's world map. And they're telling you where these seals are. So you take them off. You fight this really underwhelming boss. Um, and there are some lame puzzles in here. Other than that, you're basically done. Except you go out and, uh-oh, where's Amerant? He's still stuck in there. So Zidane goes back in there to get him. Um, and this is his literal only point of character growth. Um, and it amounts to just friendship good. And that's it. You save him. And then for the rest of the game, he's like, Zidane's not so bad after all. I was a loser. And it's like, shut up, dude. I don't know. I I I feel comfortable being hard on this game because I think it warrants it in a lot of places. But like this whole episode, I felt like I've been complaining a lot about it. But like it's just it doesn't stand up to the first two discs, you know, except for a couple of choice parts. Yeah, and it sucks because you're such a high level as your character and you can finally use the summon powers as um, your white magicians and it, it, it just kind of stinks. But I think that's a good place to wrap it up for this one. Um, like we said at the beginning, um, we're still new to this. We're still learning how we can pace our episodes and our um, playtime outside um, along with some unforeseen circumstances um, that hindered a, a, a few of our abilities to play the game um so we will be doing an extra sode where we just finish this out it shouldn't take too long maybe um 45 minutes maybe less than that shouldn't be too long it'll be in addition to whatever episodes we're also pumping out so um if you don't like this series i'm sorry for you um but if you do um you're getting it in addition to the other stuff we're doing so that'll be fun um and like i said it won't be too too long we don't have a ton of the game left. So has your, just one last question for you two, has your opinion on this game changed as you're going through it? Definitely. I know that you're not a fan of the latter discs, but I rather like them actually. I'm, there's some things that are a little bit like, uh, okay, I get it. But like, it's my first time through it. I'm seeing it, you know, in a very, very just storytelling newish i don't know i don't know i i i'm i'm really enjoying it it's not that i'm not a fan it's just that i i don't think they write a check with the first two and they've got insufficient funds to cash it with this third disc i think the fourth disc does some cool stuff they could have skipped a lot of the third disc a lot of it is really filler material that they didn't need i appreciate the fact that they choose to develop all these side characters with all these different like backstories and it develops the lore of this world and like i understand that viewpoint of it but also at the same time i i don't think that out of like six of the main characters in our party we really need to delve this deeply into a lot of the things that are going on um with especially more of the minor characters and the minor dialogue um they don't really find that balance in this in this third disc um and then the fourth disc we'll talk about that when it comes that's interesting. I, I like the delving into the world building and, like, the minor stuff that builds the character. I just think, like, I think you said it best. I think some of it is just skippable. Some of it is and some of it isn't. Some of it is what makes it, some of it is what make me, made me actually care in the first place. Um, Some of the really good writing that you actually, like, would just see in a character, like, on the side of a street kind of deal. So. Now, last question, for real, P.S., PPS, excluding any 
endgame surprises or any uh, extreme endings that you might not see coming, if you had to give this a preemptive rating out of 10, no sentence, just a number, what would you guys, uh, what would you give this one? Eight. I was not expecting you to give it so high. I, I'm kind of sturdily sitting at a nine right now for what it is. Yeah, I I can't in good faith give this one a ten. Um, I I was I I would call it a nine as well. Although I guess that's not fair of me to do because I've played the game, so I can't give my rating out prematurely. That's against the rules, and I will be fired for my mistakes. I didn't know there were rules. I didn't know there were rules either. Expect to see a new face next week. New face, new rules, I'm assuming? Where, where are these rules coming from? I don't know, Vince. I'm just trying to bring some levity into this conversation. <laughs> okay. Um, that's it for another episode of Pixel Project Radio. Ben, if they like this show, what can they do? They can find us on Twitter, and I believe we are at Pixel Project Pod there on Instagram. Think- Twitter is Pixel Project Radio, I think, just straight Pixel up. Pixel Project Radio, not pod, because I know Instagram is at Pixel Project Radio, hold the pod, and hold the pod is not part of the title. You were right. Twitter is at Pixel Project Pod. Yes. Um, Instagram it's pr- Pixel is Project Pixel Pro- Radio. Pixel Project Radio Podcast yes. for Instagram. Yep. I don't know why I can't ever get those right. I just remember that. I don't use Twitter as much, and so that makes me think just pod. You think use... if we each remember just one, if we each had just one, that we could, uh, you know, between the three of us, figure it out and do this little end cap. <laughs> you would think. You would think. I thought incorrectly. All right. Well, we've done it again, boys. We've solved podcasting. Another one down. I don't have anything to say to that. Sorry. I, I know it looked like I was going to talk, but... Rick, why don't you sign us off? Because Vince and I did the last two. All right. Well, this has been Pixel Project Radio. Thanks for listening. We will see you again next time, as this time we're signing off. <laughs>